Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay and so are we. Welcome to the latest View from the Bridge podcast, Football at London's Chelsea podcast. I'm Scott Trotter, Chelsea writer for Football London, and today I'm joined, as always, by Bobby Vincent. How are you doing, Bobby? I'm good, Scott. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a little while since we've became acquainted on one of these podcast episodes. Um, I feel like I've had my hair cut and it's went out of control again already. Have you been up to much? <laughs> um, yeah, just, you know, working, um, seeing some entertaining football um, from Chelsea and now, you know, just counting down the days until the international break's over. Yeah, yeah. And the, I guess these international breaks provide a little bit of time for some pause, some reflection. We always get asked to kind of do, I guess, lots of player ratings of the season so far, maybe speculative pieces of, of how the season will go. But, you know, we're at the third international break of the year. Um, Chelsea still firmly mid-table, um, but one place better off than in October. Um, I guess a few places better off than in the September break as well. So things, albeit slowly, trending in the right direction. The last couple of games, though, as you kind of highlighted, very exciting. Eight whole goals. Uh, scenes that nobody would have expected from Chelsea, who averaged one goal a game last year. Um, I guess we'll not go too far back, but we'll look at this Manchester City game. Um, maybe... Possibly the best game I've ever been to live. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I, I think the same. Um, I don't think I've ever been to a... I haven't been to many draws live, I'll be honest. I've definitely not been to a 4-4 before. I think I've been to a 3-3. Three, three. Um, but even sort of regardless of the score, it just sort of had everything, didn't it? It was, um, yeah, it was really... It was great to see Chelsea sort of go toe-to-toe with, you know, the best team probably in the world. I mean, certainly last season, they won the Champions League, the Premier League and um, the FA Cup. Um, you know, they've got the best striker in the world in Erling Haaland. They've got the best manager in the world in Pep Guardiola. They've got Rodri, one of the best centre-mids in the world, one of the best keepers, just one of the best teams in the world. And to see Chelsea, um, you know, go go toe-to-toe with them and give them a right good game. And I know that Chelsea scored, you know, a last-minute equaliser, but they're... You could also argue that Chelsea were unfortunate not to get all three points because um, some of the chances they had. I, I, they, I think a draw was probably a fair result, and I think both managers said that after the game because both sides sort of had spells, didn't they, in the game where they were um, dominant. And But, yeah, I mean, it was just great to see, and that has been a real positive watching Chelsea this season is their ability to match the best teams in the league. We've seen it against Liverpool and Arsenal where they um, drew like they did against City. We've seen them beat Tottenham, albeit in very um, bizarre circumstances with Spurs being down to nine men. Um, but, you know, they they were playing well up until um, Christian Romero got sent off as well and they were really knocking on the door. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just really pleased that um, we, you know, we were me and you were both fortunate enough to be there live. And, I mean, as a journalist, it was an absolute nightmare to um, cover I had to get a piece out for full time, as you know, and um, I think I changed it about five times between the 70th and 90th minute. And I did manage to um, finally get out and everything be right. Um, but yeah, just, just a real 
real experience and I guess it's probably like the worst game you could have before the international break because it leaves you wanting more and um, unfortunately you know we're about halfway through now which is good but um, yeah we still got still got a little while until um, Chelsea play football again. Yeah and I think what was really kind of exciting about it was just kind of the atmosphere in the ground um, it, it was all throughout the game very noisy very loud and it really felt like a moment where perhaps you know, the players, the crowd, Pochettino kind of came together a little bit um, and really in unison to kind of fight against this Manchester City sing, uh, team where the crowd, I guess some people have said maybe it was ironic, but it just felt very outplaced when they were singing um, Champions of Europe. You'll never sing that when Chelsea, of course, won it twice and famously beat Manchester City in, in that final. So it was a bit of a weird uh, attempt at a put down and banter, I think, but it was good to see Chelsea's fans respond to that. Um, obviously, I think there was a great deal of enthusiasm to to, to go against Anthony Taylor, um, who had, I guess, maybe a questionable game at times, maybe for both teams. I think there was maybe some unhappiness at that penalty being awarded for Erling Haaland um, when Mark Kukure was judged to publish, uh, I think, I don't know, it looked like six of one and half a dozen the other to me probably Harlan maybe instigating it so Chelsea were probably a bit unfortunate there but yeah I think as you said just the momentum uh that Chelsea got from that game it's a shame that they've kind of had to slow things down as everybody heads on a national break once again but with some good teams still to play afterwards hopefully Chelsea can keep that going and you know through that maybe figure out how they will get over uh, the low block issue that is obviously present in the team um, I guess standout performances from that Man City game, Raheem Sterling, very good again, um, obviously missed out on England. Uh, what have you kind of thought of his season so far? Yeah, he's, he was very good against Man City. Um, you know, arguably the best he's played this season. There, there have been games where he's been incredible. I, I remember, um, I think it was West Ham away, second game of the season, and Chelsea lost that game 3-1, but he was he, he was really, really good. And um that was so early on in the season. So to see him play that well then, and then he got two against Luton the next game, and it, it was sort of, you know, the return of Raheem Sterling. Um, we didn't really see it last season, albeit he did score a, he did score a few goals, a handful of goals, but um, we didn't really see him excel in a Chelsea shirt. And uh, yeah, this season there have been games like Man City, like Luton, like West Ham, where he's been, you know, incredible and unplayable. When he's, when he's like that, I think he's unplayable because... He's really good off the ball um, in terms of winning it back. He's we all know how quick he is, and he gets right in the defenders' faces. Like, I, I, he caused Carl Walker some real problems on um, last Sunday. Um, and just winning the ball back from him a lot of the times. Um, he, he must be a really annoying player to play against. He just sort of buzzes around when he's on the ball, and I feel like the only way you can tackle him when he's playing like that is to bring him down. And he does draw a lot of fouls. Um, but yeah, re- really good from Raheem Sterling and. It's players like him who you mentioned the uh, Stamford Bridge being um, being loud on Sunday, and it wasn't. It was great to see slash hear. Um, I haven't heard. That's probably the loudest I've ever heard Stamford Bridge. Um, I haven't been there that many times. I've only been doing this job for what like um, just over a year now. But in that year, it's definitely not been like that. And it was really, it was a real. Um, sort of hostile atmosphere for Man City. I can't imagine it was nice to play in. And even when um, I think City went 4-3 up uh, quite late on, when Rodri scored that lucky deflected goal, um, 
Chelsea fans sort of reacted straight away and were singing Chelsea. And I don't think we've had that a lot. A lot of the times when uh, um, Chelsea concede, Stamford Bridge goes quite flat and it becomes a sort of a horrible place to play for the Chelsea players almost. Um, so it was great to see that. And yeah, players like Raheem Sterling um, really helped out on Sunday because he was, like you said, excellent. Yeah, and I, I guess in terms of atmosphere and a player that's kind of sparking some cheers um, all season long, really, um, perhaps through tackles as much as goals or assists or anything like that. But Conor Gallagher really seems to have become Mr. Chelsea this season. I think having consistent time on the pitch has really benefited him. He's looked very secure, very solid, and has really shown some quality. I think last year, you know, we all knew what Conor Gallagher would bring. He would bring some tenacity. Um, he would get his body about, cause some chaos on the pitch. But this year, he's really added quality. And maybe that's to do with just having more time on the pitch to kind of really benefit. And, you know, just thinking about where Conor Gallagher was that evening in August, transfer deadline day, there was still a chance he could move to Tottenham. Uh, depending on things, how unfolded with their midfield and if they stumped up enough money at Chelsea. There's an element of it um, still needing to uh, extend a contract if you kind of, if both sides want to extend his stay at the club. But he's really been brilliant this year. And possibly, maybe with Sterling competing a little bit and then obviously Cole Palmer, who we should maybe speak about as well. But Conor Gallagher, probably Chelsea's player of the season so far. Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, Consistency-wise, um, he's been Chelsea's yeah best player. Um, he, yeah, he was great to watch on Sunday. I think it was a game, you know, sort of made for him almost because we knew Man City were going to have a lot of the ball. Um, they always do. So Chelsea were going to have to press a lot. And I didn't think, to be fair, Chelsea would press as much as they did. I thought I think Pochettino was very brave in how he did it. And um, I wrote about it earlier this week. I think he didn't give Man City the respect that others do. Um, some teams sort of, you know, they press a bit, but then back off a bit because, you know, that City can just, you know, play through you because they're that good. And don't get me wrong, Chelsea did get played through at times. Um, I, I just think about the, I think it's the third goal, right at the start of the second half, um, Chelsea sort of got played through, <coughs> excuse me, played through when pressing from the front. And Conor Gallagher was, you know, he was the man in the first half because he was the guy... He was quite often, when I watched it back, he was quite often Chelsea's furthest man forward when pressing um, ahead of Jackson. Um, just because he is, you know, Chelsea's best player off the ball. Um, he's really quick. He gets, he covers ground phenomenally. phenomenally and um, he, yeah, he was sort of everywhere in that first half, especially. And then in the second half, he changed roles a bit. He was sort of on the right-hand side and Cole Palmer um, tucked into the middle. So it meant Chelsea won as as good with their pressing in the second half because, well, Gallagher started, was starting from deeper almost and um, City essentially had more time on the ball because for all of Cole Palmer's qualities, he's not as good as a, of a presser as um, Conor Gallagher. So that was, uh, I mean, that was probably more of a Conor Gallagher we saw last season that we saw against um, City in terms of his work off the ball. But, I mean, in other games, he like you said, he has um, he's definitely shown us a different side to his game. One we probably knew he had but hasn't really had the chance to show and that is his work on the ball and his passing his passing range his um runs forward he likes to shoot from outside the box often and um i think that if you asked him that would be his one thing he wants to improve on is um sort of adding more goals i think he's got a few assists now um 
but I'm sure he'd like to add more goals to his game. We know he can do it because he, you know, at Spelly out at Crystal Palace on loan, he showed that he can, um, you know, be a real threat in the box. Um, but he was playing a much more sort of advanced role for Palace under Patrick Vieira than he is now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can tell Pochettino is a huge fan of him. I mean, he's been, he's wore the armband a lot of times because of um, Rhys James and Ben Chilwell both being absent. And it seems to me that he's thriving doing so. And yeah, it's great to see because he's one of, you know, he's one of those many um, Cobham graduates who some people seem to have a problem with for some reason and um, get on his back more than anyone. But I mean, I don't think even the most cynical of um, Conor Gallagher critics could have can, can really criticise what he's done so far this season because he's you know he's been Chelsea's best midfielder and he's playing alongside um, Enzo Fernandez and Moises Caicedo who both cost over a hundred million pounds. So yeah, I think he's been terrific and it's great to see. Yeah, and that, there was this great moment against Man City, um, and I can't really remember what led up to it, but where he just ends up standing over Rodri, looking down at him. Yeah, and Rodri just kind of gets up and shuffles away rather than kind of been up for the fight and. I think that's maybe something Chelsea have lacked, just having that bit of bite in the last couple of years to fight back. And I think you kind of highlighted it, the impact maybe that's had on the stadium when Chelsea do go behind. They came back three times against Manchester yeah. City. Obviously, they come back against Tottenham as well. Um, and that's a quality that will hopefully stand them in good stead moving forwards. I guess just to mention on Conor Gallagher, I think um, Gareth Southgate was speaking on Thursday and uh, suggested that Gallagher came out of the Man City game with a bit of a knock, but he wanted to join up with the England squad anyway and told Southgate that he would be fine to play come Friday evening. Um, so hopefully he's fine. Hopefully nothing dramatic has happened to Conor Gallagher because he has been brilliant so far this season. Um, I think one thing we'll just quickly touch on before maybe talking about Cole Palmer. Um, one, I guess, maybe threat to Conor Gallagher, though we don't really know where he's going to play yet, given how this Chelsea side is set up. Uh, Christopher Nkunku could return after this international break. Pochettino's hinted at it a couple of times. Perhaps Newcastle will be too soon, but certainly his, I guess, phased introduction is on the agenda. Can Conor Gallagher stay in a team what Christopher Nkunku is going to play? Um, yeah, I think he can. It, like you said, it, it's very much dependent on what he does. Like when Quite a, quite a lot in pre-season. Um, he sort of go with a four-two-three-one and put Nkunku almost as a second striker or a number ten behind um, Jackson. But I think there is, of course, scope. I don't. I just don't really see how you can drop Gallagher at the moment. I think even if you had to drop one midfielder, it'd probably be probably be Enzo Fernandez, and that seems ridiculous to say because. You know he, he's so highly rated by Chelsea fans, and he's very highly rated by me as well. I don't I want to get that, want to make that clear. But um, I think you're going off performances, which I think is you know a fair way to um, assess things. I think Gallagher probably stays in, um, but yeah, it does depend because we, we we could also see a you know him stick with a three man midfield and maybe play Nkunku in one of the wide positions or even as another nine because he did that for Leipzig. He sort of played all over the shop for Leipzig. Um, it's just one of those things, I guess, that it's a bit of an impossible question to answer because Pochettino will have his plans, but then I don't think he even knows yet because it's just not seen enough of him. And like he was obviously very impressed by what he saw in preseason. Um, he sort of 
I thought in preseason that there'll be games where he didn't necessarily play well, but he'd score. And I think that is obviously what Chelsea need. And you, you see that with a lot of players like Erling Haaland or Mo Salah, that these, um, you know, the two top scorers in the Premier League right now, they are. And they go have games that almost pass them by, but they'll still find two goals in the game. And I guess that's what Chelsea need. They need that quality. And I mean, it's l- less so now, maybe, because like you said at the start of the recording, they've scored eight in their last two games. But I think it's more. I think the more of a concern is against the lesser sides, isn't it? And um, you know, you're not in Forest at home. You're Brentford at home. You're Aston Villa's at home, rather than Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, um, Man City, and Spurs. So I think that's where Nkunku could really shine and offer Chelsea something more. But yeah, I, I, I do think that. I think there is a way Gallagher stays in the team, but it's just very much dependent on how he sees Nkunku because he's just very, he's just very versatile player, and I guess that's you know what adds to. His um, adds to what Chelsea see in him. Yeah, and I guess what kind of has made things more difficult is is Cole Palmer because the competition in those four positions between Sterling, of course, had a very good season. Jackson has obviously started to find some goals. I guess it remains to be seen how much confidence Pochettino has in him. Brozier came back when apparently Mudrick has showed flashes of his best, though obviously kind of starting again after picking up that little injury. I think we probably will find there is a place for Nkunku in this team, but it's just which pieces fit in the jigsaw for which game. Um, but Cole Palmer, um, I guess Chelsea's chief creator now in many ways. He has absolute ice in his veins, taking that penalty against his former side in stoppage time. Um, his fourth penalty that he scored uh, this season. Four assists as well. I guess... I mean, this is a question for literally everybody, but did you think he was going to be this good when he signed for Chelsea? No. Um, I I, I, I liked the sign-in, as in when it happened. I thought, yeah, that's good. I I was a bit, um, not going to lie, I was a bit, uh, I was questioning the fee a bit, 42 and a half million. I know it doesn't really seem that much nowadays, but I thought it was quite a lot considering sort of, you know, he, I think you could count on one hand how many starts in the Premier League he had for Man City. And, I think it you know, was three. I think it was three. Yeah, so yeah, you can literally count on one hand. And, um, you know, he's a player, I guess, a lot of Chelsea fans and, you know, me as well included. I've only seen a number of ti- a small number of times in all competitions. And I like what I saw. Like what I, saw. I, I remember watching him. Um, I went to watch Swindon Town versus um, Manchester City in the FA Cup. I think maybe start of 2022 because that's my uh, one of my local teams in Swindon and um, Man City battered them um, as you'd expect and Cole Palmer I think got I think he got two goals or he at least got one but he was just the standout player on the pitch and he I mean Man City had a decent side out as well they had like I remember Rodri was playing Gundogan was playing um, I think Gabriel Jesus was playing for them at the time but Cole Palmer just stood out when you watched him live. He was playing on the right wing. And I thought, yeah, even though it was against Swindon, I was just like, yeah, he, he looks a really good player there. And um, yeah, so I obviously thought, you know, he's going to be a mainstay at City, like going to go down the Phil Foden route sort of thing. Um, but you know what? Fair play to him because it would have been quite easy to sign a new contract at City and stay on the uh, periphery. Um, under Pep Guardiola and sort of get the odd game, but he's signed for Chelsea. He's you know he's moved down to London as a kid from Manchester. Um, moved down to London, uh, which you know must be quite daunting. And he signed for a club that 
is undergoing a massive transformation and one that's not guaranteed success. And he's sort of taken on this role as, you know, like you said, Chelsea's main creator. And he, he has been Chelsea's go-to guy since he signed um, go-to attacker, certainly. And uh, yeah, he's done so well, I think. And I did not for one minute expect he'd do this well. Um, I like how, I think, I can't remember who it was against now. Um, when he was arguing with Sterling for the penalty, I can't think who it was against. But um I like that about him. I like that he wanted to, you know, be the man and he's now, you know, the other scooter penalty taker. Um, be interesting to see if that changes when Akunku comes back, by the way, because he was, you know, he took penalties for Leipzig and so I'm sure he'd want to um, get a few goals under his belt. But anyway, um, yeah, so impressed by Cole Palmer. Whether I thought he was quite quiet against City in the first half when he was on the right. Then he moved into the centre and I thought he was like majestic, really, and was. You know, he was quite—he was quite unlucky not to score um, at one point in the second half, where he sort of—he yeah, had a amazing run. Yeah, 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 and he didn't quite quite connect with his shot, and Edison did quite well. And yeah, but and I really liked it as well when um, I don't know if you've seen the clip when he goes over to try and listen to City's team talk, and he gets uh, pushed away by Haaland. Mm-hmm. And the the funny thing about that is that was at four four in the ninety fifth minute. So I was just like, oh, that's mad. Like They were still joking around like that. There was also a stoppage in play. I can't really remember. But um, yeah, that was good to see. It was quite it was quite refreshing to see that. But yeah, just Cole Palmer in general has just been brilliant. And like you said, it, Chelsea now have a um, situation where we don't really know where Nkunku's going to play. And uh, he's going to come in, he's going to play, and he's going to score goals, hopefully. But we don't quite know where it's going to be at. I, I'm liking the thought of a, and this sounds quite harsh on Nicholas Jackson because he's got five goals in his last, no, f- uh, four goals in his last two games. Um, but I quite like the thought of Nkunku playing as a number nine and Sterling and Palmer either side of them or even Mudrick at some point. Um, or, you know, perhaps Palmer behind Nkunku and um, Mudrick and Sterling on the wings. But yeah, I mean, it's, the thing is with these players as well, um, Chances are they're not all going to be fit at the same time. I mean, there might be a period where they are, but it's usually one of them will be injured. And um, so you go from having so many options to not as many. And But yeah, I mean, Cole Palmer's one of, if not the first name on the um, team sheet now at Chelsea. Yeah. And as a reward, I guess, for his performance against Manchester City, he did get called up to the senior England squad. So it'll be really interesting to see whether he can make his debut in the next week, I guess, speaking of that, Levi Colwell obviously uh, pulled out with the shoulder injury that he missed in Manchester City game. So hopefully he has plenty of time to recover in time for uh, for Newcastle. And I guess maybe that's where we go to next. Newcastle, um, I guess, another, I guess, better team, if you want to kind of be hopeful in terms of Chelsea's aspirations and form they've shown this year. They are absolutely ravaged by injuries. Um, obviously got beat off. Dortmund and Bournemouth before the break. It's a game where Chelsea will see the opportunity for three points and hopefully we'll have a reasonably fit squad compared to what they've had this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a difficult place to go, St. James's Park. And I mean, you only got to look at Arsenal earlier this month. I know that was a really controversial <laughs> goal, but I, I don't think they Arsenal had a really a sniff of goal game. Um, and without Newcastle being amazing that game either, but they defended really well. And it's just such a hard place to go. I think not many sides come out there with three points. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if Chelsea were to go there and win, then they'd have to be at their absolute best. And 
like you said, it's, it's another you know so-called good team, one of the stronger teams in the Prem. They finished in the top four last season, so they're going to come out and they're going to attack Chelsea. They're going to fancy it. Um, Eddie Howe's a very positive manager, and he, you know, he's not really known for his cautious approach. He's more of a you know um, attacking offensive manager. So I have no doubt that Newcastle will use the uh, St James Park atmosphere to their advantage and look to hurt Chelsea and you know there are still some question marks over Chelsea's defence and I think overall this season I don't think it's been too bad Chelsea's defence I don't think that's been the issue there have obviously been games where they've been caught out but you know there's going to be a real test at St James's Park because as much as um, you know everyone enjoyed the Tottenham win that that might have been completely different if, um, you know, Spurs didn't lose their heads essentially um, and get two guys sent off. So it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea do against the top side away from home in normal circumstances, um, considering it stays normal. But yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be my um, first time at St. James's Park. So really looking forward to the atmosphere. I've heard it's, um, you know, an amazing stadium to witness live and just not so much looking forward to a train trip. <laughs> yeah, a, a long one for sure. And I think what's really interesting, you mentioned the defence there, is for this international break, um, albeit I think Thiago Silva is in Brazil enjoying himself at the moment, Pochettino does have a kind of rare opportunity to work with the back four of sorts. Rhys James, obviously not with England. He's been training with Chelsea this week. Benoit Badiashil training with Chelsea. Um, Marco Carrera obviously played at left back if Colwell's not going to be fit will be at Chelsea over the next couple of weeks and presumably Silva will return sooner than most of the internationals. Could that be a back four we see against Newcastle? Or do you think Axel de Sassi, who got a late call-up for France, um, will be back in the team? Cole will obviously challenge in if he is fit as well. Um, is is this break an opportunity for Badia Shield to impress Pochettino? I hope so. I, I do hope that's the back four we see. Um, I think De Sassi has done well, don't get me wrong, but I just think Badia Shield and Silva, you know, is one of the best partnerships Chelsea can put out. Um, and yeah, I mean, we haven't really seen too much of Badia Shield since he came back, apart from the um, Carabao Cup tie. But yeah, I think it definitely works to his advantage. You know, he'll be um, training with them and they'll be going through defensive drills and whatever. And, you know, with to Sassi not there, then there's definitely more of a chance, I guess. But um, I'd be surprised, if I'm honest, I'd be surprised if he does go for Badia Shield. Um, I think he'll probably stick to something similar to what we saw. Um, obviously, we don't really know the extent of Colwell's injury, but I, it doesn't look, you know, likely that he'll be back, I guess. We can assume that. Um, so, yeah, I imagine it'll be something similar to what we saw against um, Man City because... Yeah, I, I think right now um, it's probably the most sensible option is to go to Sassi and Silva as much as I quite like to see Badia Shield, just because he just ha- simply hasn't played enough football and, um, you know, it's quite a big game to chuck him into. Yeah, for sure. And um, I guess at this point we'll move to more serious matters um, away from the enthusiasm of what Chelsea have done recently, which has been a nice position to be in. But um, news today, Friday, broke that Everton would receive a 10-point deduction given how they had um, broken, I guess, Premier League FFP rules. Um, Obviously, massive news. Uh, In the Premier League, um, I thought what was probably notable 
in terms of Everton's response to it is that they had a they had a line in their statement saying the club will also monitor with great interest the decision made in any other cases concerning the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. Now, I guess initially Manchester City, um, I think they've been found to have broken over a hundred of those. Um, so who knows how many points they could be up to? Um, there's lots of jokes on social media about how good the conference could look, um, the National League rather, um, in the coming seasons. But maybe there is kind of a moment of concern for Chelsea. Um, they obviously did highlight in the summer about some issues um, to both Premier League and UEFA. UEFA fined them £8 million for kind of some breaches from the last kind of hierarchy. Um, Chelsea have been kind of clear to make uh, make sure that it's highlighted that these are historical issues. Um, I guess combined with this evidence point deduction, um, we should highlight that the Guardian and I think the Bureau of Journalism um, have highlighted a whole kind of host of issues that Chelsea are implicated in, um, which I'm sure they will be investigated from Premier League for in terms of payments to some agents. I think Grumber Average paying to Swindon Town, um, it's claimed as well. So lots of uncertainty in that regard. And I guess, I guess initially, what what is your thoughts on the the ten point deduction for Everton, and does that that create a bit of worry for Chelsea fans? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I don't think it's nice as, to ever see a team face a points deduction. Um, it was, I guess, like, we've sort of known about these um, alleged breaches from Everton for the last sort of couple of months, but it still almost came as a bit of a surprise when I saw a talk of it this morning um, on Twitter and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess for Everton's sake, it's, I guess, I guess a positive that it's happened now rather than last season because, of course, if they had 10 points deducted from last season, they would be down in the championship right now. But at least it gives them... I mean, I'm saying at least it's obviously still a really devastating blow, but at least it gives them the chance to make things right in terms of their points so they know where they are now. And Obviously, they said in their statement, I think it was a second or third line, they immediately said that they're going to appeal the decision made by the Premier League Commission and... Yeah, I mean, from Chelsea's point of view, we can't we can't really say too much. No, we, we we've obviously all read the the article from the Guardian, I think, and um, you know, it seems like some pretty serious stuff going on there. And for Chelsea's sake, we hope a lot of it, you know, d- turns out to be sort of nothing. But um, Premier League will obviously investigate it. It sounds like it's a, you know, quite a it will be quite a lengthy investigation for all the um, allegations, I guess, and. I guess that's the same with Man City, um, 115 breaches, I think, supposedly, of the um, FFP uh, rules. So it's obviously them, sort of those processes will take longer than Everton, who was supposedly just one breach, I guess. Um, you know, they're gonna, it's going to take time to uh, figure out what punishment is, you know, um, necessary. And yeah, from Chelsea's point of view, I mean, it'd be a real shame with it because... You know, the club's pretty much non-recognisable now to what it was when these um, allegations sort of are being pinned back to. Um, obviously, new ownership, Roman Bramvich was in charge back then. Pretty much <clears throat> completely new look inside the club with, um, in terms of, you know, recruitment team and the board, etc. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be a real shame to for Chelsea to be punished from stuff that happened in the past, but it's just one of those things that we're going to have to 
certain weight on and um you know i'm sure i'm sure um people at chelsea are prepared for whatever action will be taken yeah and i guess just to highlight again obviously there are some um historical fp breaches that the club took to uf from premier league in the summer i think richard masters did say in august as well that they were looking into those and if there is a case to be brought forward to chelsea that will occur um obviously how these latest allegations impact that kind of remains to be seen but one we will be keeping an eye on but you should say uefa with that fine they um for the stuff that Chelsea brought forward to them they considered the matter closed with that respect I'm not sure if anything new has cropped up in terms of UEFA but yeah one we will be keeping an eye on in the coming weeks and months um I guess speaking of financials uh the January transfer window is fast approaching the thing that football of course revolves around when football's not being played probably about six weeks to go and as always, uh, the chatter around who Chelsea could sign never truly stops. Um, and I guess until Nicholas Jackson's four goals in the last two games, it's all been heavily, heavily centred around the prospect of signing a new centre-forward. Uh, Jackson has scored seven goals this season, I think perhaps in 14 games. Um, and that, in fairness, is a pretty good record for Chelsea strikers of, of recent years. Um like Timo Werner and Robert Lukaku obviously had their own struggles. Um, I guess what what do you make of Nicholas Jackson's situation? And then you obviously wrote a story earlier this week about a certain Ivan Tony and a certain Victor Osman. Familiar names from the summer, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, just detail what you know about that so far. Yeah, I, I think Nicholas Jackson, to be fair to him, has done about as well as he could really I, obviously like there are some chances where he was a bit rash um he could perhaps compose himself there but when you just you know take everything into context he's 22 years old he's it's all been said by Pochettino those of times he's 22 new country etc etc and um adapted to a you know one of the toughest leagues in the world if not the most um, difficult league in the world to adapt to and he's coming to a side that how heavily relying on him and I think, you know, if it is seven and 14, like you said, a goal every other game is a, is a very decent return um, <clears throat> for any Chelsea striker and one for 30 million as well, which, you know, is very cheap nowadays. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we, we've known for a while now that Chelsea will look to sign that world-class number nine, um, you know, up, up to you if you think that is Ivan Tony or Victor Rossman, but there's certainly two names Chelsea are looking at, but I think a lot, a lot of this bringing in like a you know a big money new striker is to take the pressure off Jackson more than anything. Of course, like um, you know they want to assign this player who can hopefully get them twenty five million goals a season and be the difference between you know tenth place and fourth. And um, that is of course the main aim. But then again, they really do rate Jackson, so they don't. They don't want to burn him out almost because, you know, he got he got a hat-trick against Spurs, which is great, but and I know this is, you know, loads of ifs and buts or whatever, but if he hadn't got that, then he would have been, you know, still very much under scrutiny. And he has, and that is, you know, ultimately he has, so that's great. And he's got four in his last two, and that's brilliant. But I think Chelsea are very, 
sort of wary about protecting him almost and just taking my limelight off him because when, when he's playing up front all the time and, you know, he's playing 90 minutes a lot of the time as well when Chelsea are needing a goal. Um, the spotlight, of course, is going to go to your £30 million striker and he's still 22 and like everything I just said, Chelsea will be very wary about that. So, yeah, Ivan Tony and Victor Osman are names, especially Ivan Tony, have been on the club's radar for, you know, a while now. And I, like, I was strongly expecting Chelsea to move for Ivan Tony should he not have been banned um, probably, for, you know, a couple of summers ago, maybe last summer. Um, but obviously that happened and he's back in January and um, he's going to have a lot of clubs interested in him. He's changed agents um, to try and facilitate a move from Brentford. He very much wants to leave Brentford. And I think for the most part, Brentford are open to sell him, but, you know, they're going to ask for a lot of money. They're going to, I mean, some places have said 80, some places have said 100 million. Um, so you could bear, we could be very much expecting, you know, the 80, 90, 100 million ballpark figure. And it's whether or not Chelsea want to do that again in January, um, pay 100 million for a second January run in, for the third window run in. Um, to sign, you know, another player. And Ivan Tony, of course, has great quality and we all saw that. But he hasn't played football, competitive football for like months now, like over half a year, I guess. And I guess a stun move would probably make more sense for Chelsea because they see how he, you know, comes back in, how he slots back in, how he's performing, etc. But then they obviously risk the chance of someone else going in from in um, January. So... I guess from Chelsea's point of view, they'll very much be monitoring the situation in January. And I know a lot of fans get frustrated with that word monitoring, but I, I think that will be the case. It will be, you know, making sure no one bids for him. And then I, I, I do genuinely think it would be a summer move for um, Chelsea to sign, you know, I, him or awesome. And to be fair, um, but if, if someone was to come in in January, then I really would have, you know, bet against Todd Bowley. Um, upstaging them with in terms of finances because we've seen that a lot of times already and I know Chelsea do very much like Ivan Tony and I think he's a particularly popular um, figure amongst, fan, amongst fans fans as well so yeah I think it, I, I think it's really interesting I, I think we're unfortunately set well unfortunately for us because it means more work for us but set for a very busy um, transfer window again yeah, it'll be interesting, and I'm sure that Nicholas Jackson will be very keen to put his fingers to his lips and shush anybody who doubts him at any moment of time, yeah. um, even if it's just uh, looking at him the wrong way. But, yeah, it's really interesting. Pochettino said um, in the summer, I think, that he was maybe cautious of bringing a, a new forward in, um, whether that was messaging for them, from the club off him, because there was, I guess caution over blocking the path for players like Armando Brogia. Um, I think he, he was specifically name-checked in that. And then a few weeks into the season, he kind of described the prospect of transfer business as, as very dynamic and whether they want a forward or not could change in a matter of weeks here and there either way. And, you know, when the January transfer window arrives, that's they'll know what, they, what they're doing. And I guess the really difficult thing for Chelsea um, – in terms of these forward positions, as they have been without a certain Christopher Nkunku, as we've already spoken about. Perhaps his best role might not be up front, but certainly one where he's very active in the box. And 
I think Pochettino even said his goals could have been the difference between Chelsea having a really good start to the season and the season they've had. And maybe if he's there, the pressure's off Jackson. You don't need another forward. Um, of course, the Brogier, the person we just mentioned, he has made like three appearances. I think he scored against Fulham, um, an obviously really important goal, and then won the penalty against Manchester City. So we've not seen a great deal of him so far. Um so we still don't really know how well-equipped Chelsea are beyond Nicholas Jackson. And as you say, perhaps in a lot of ways it makes more sense to make the big move come next summer. There is the added problem of Nicholas Jackson probably going away for AFCON um, in the middle of January. And given Senegal are the reigning champions, there's a possibility that he's away for a, a solid month just over in terms of preparation and the length of the tournament. And, I guess it just adds the sense that any decision Chelsea do make and any fitness concerns they have over in Kunku or Brozier at that time, they really need to be ready to act early in January. They can't afford to leave it till the end like they did with Enzo Fernandez coming in, you know, just before the, the window opens, but then not making the decisive move and, until pretty much deadline there. Um, so I guess... As any manager and any fan may say, up and down the country, you want to get your business done early. Yeah, and I guess it's, you know, two-week periods like this at the moment will be critical for Chelsea planning and, um, you know, assessing what they're going to do in January and making the relevant contact to whoever. Um, there's a good point about the AFCON. I did kind of forget about that. And I don't I don't think I'll necessarily mean Chelsea rush into buying a striker because, um, you know, if they can't get the right price or the right player then i don't think they'll necessarily do that for the sake of what could be a month like you said but yeah i mean i guess it's just a lot to do with like you said um Nkunku, Breuer, how they're getting on i mean we have seen cole palmer in the false nine and he did well there um, it's an option and rain sterling's played central before but they're not you know it's not ideal you'd rather a natural striker there and so yeah i mean it's definitely something to um to think about and like I said I think these sort of two week periods I mean this is the third now we've had since the start of the season I guess Pochettino could sit down with whoever at the club and um, talk about what he sort of sees and what Chelsea could do in um, the mid-season window Yeah and I guess the kind of other transfer sort of issue that has cropped up a, a great deal this week is in terms of Chelsea's loans. Um, I guess Andres Santos is is the figure that's taken the most attention. He's not really been given a great deal of opportunities at Nottingham Forest so far this season, not played very much Premier League football. Uh, I think his only start maybe came in the Carabao Cup in August, perhaps, in that first game uh, for the Premier League sides. Obviously, Garner and talk about the prospect of him being recalled in January. Um, I guess, what what do you think Chelsea are be- best off doing there at the moment? Because Chelsea's midfield, as we've already talked about with, with Conor Gallagher, um, and then obviously, of course, Enzo Fernandez and Moises Casido. There's not a lot of room there. And Romeo Lavia. Um, yeah, who could be back in a number of weeks, yeah. Yeah, which we you almost forget, don't you, because he hasn't played yet. But... Um, yeah, I mean, with Andre Santos, if he's not getting the games, then I think it's something Chelsea have to do, really. They recall him and then probably look for another loan um, somewhere else where he could be guaranteed game time, I'm sure. I'm sure with Forrest, there, there were guarantees or promises that haven't been kept um, thus far. And Chelsea will be disappointed with that because, 
you know, we know how highly rated he is by the club and I think he showed in pre-season the sort of quality he's got in um, glimpses with Chelsea and quite a lot of people were, you know, tipping him to potentially stay um, this season um, to, you know, fight for a place in the Chelsea squad. But that hasn't been the case. And I think it, I think if you do get him back in January, then I think you look for another loan really because, like we said, there's a lot of midfielders now at Chelsea and Romeo Lavia returning as well. I mean, you've got Leslie Ugochukwu as well, who I think his future is an interesting one because we see him in sort of glimpses. He, he tends to come on when Chelsea need to sort of see a game out almost um, and try and be a bit more cautious. And he's played the old cup game and I, I think he's quite good. Um, but perhaps he could do with a bit of time on loan somewhere, whether that's you know, a return to France or that's elsewhere in the Premier League in England. Um, don't quite know, but yeah, I do think with Andre Santos in particular, I think if he's, you know, if the situation doesn't improve in the next month or so between now and the January window, then I think it's a no-brainer to recall him if you can and just look for a better club for him, look for a better suited system for him, one where he's going to get regular minutes and, you know, really progress the player. Yeah, and I guess... In a lot of ways, this kind of brings forth maybe not an issue, but uh, a problem Chelsea are going to have to look to resolve in the coming years if they stick with this kind of transfer philosophy of maybe bringing in, you know, good young players who are perhaps beyond that kind of age group level. They, they've got some talent. They spend a lot of money on like Zivogachuku, on Santos, but they're still not quite ready for the first team. Kind of facilitating minutes is going to be really difficult. There's going to be a lot of pressure on getting loans right. And I think even Thierry Henry spoke about Leslie Ogutchukwu this week and um, he kind of said the same thing. He was talking about another player initially kind of been worried about a situation and compared it to that of Ogutchukwu. Um He did give the caveat that the French midfield does have a difficult task to get into that midfield with Caicedo and Fernandez there, but he's just kind of doesn't want to see his players stood still. I think was essentially the issue. You said pre-season with the, the first teams can be really good for the fitness and that kind of like competitive training, but you don't want to just be stood still as a youngster. Um, so it is something Chelsea are going to have to be careful of going forward because already, and I think even in the summer, they were linked to um, Gabriel Moscardo, another Brazilian midfielder. So it's probably going to be, you know, something Chelsea still look to keep doing in the future, whether it to be, you know, benefiting the Chelsea starting eleven or to get profit from in a couple of years' time. Um, but it but it will bring us difficulties. And I guess I don't know. Do do you think Chelsea maybe need to slow down a little bit in that area, or you know, just keep confident and back themselves to make the right decisions when the time comes? I think um, we have seen a an influx of really young players who a lot of people haven't heard of and. Um, you know, that's to do with the extensive scouting network Chelsea have. And it's clearly the club's vision of, you know, we've heard about the Project 2030 a lot, um, being sort of spearheaded by Neil Bath and looking to develop these players into, you know, potentially world-class players, sell them for, um, send, uh, sorry, buy them for quite cheap and, you know, potentially increase their value by a hundred times and stuff like that. But, yeah, like you said, there are a lot of players and I, I don't see it really stopping with Chelsea, but the, the only thing is, and I'm, I'm sure these people know, of course, but not every player is going to be able to work out. Um, even if you're signing some of the 
most highly rated young players in the world, but not every single one's going to work out for different circumstances. It's just the way football goes. And I guess as well, um, what you were saying about, you know, finding the right loans, I guess that comes with time as well, because I guess you'd start to um, well, form relationships with clubs, don't you? And with, you know, Chelsea under Roman Abramovich had, you know, ridiculous amounts of players out alone sometimes um there's always a joke about Chelsea and Patesse almost being like the feeder club um but Chelsea will have players scattered around Europe around South America just on loan and I guess they started to form relationships with with these clubs and know where to um, send different players and different styles of players and who they could trust and I guess with Top Bowley and Bedadic Bali now and the whole new team they've they've starting from scratch basically and it's now up to them to form relationships with these clubs and you know just find find the right club like Cesar Casade last season at Red um at Redden wasn't didn't do particularly well but at Leicester he's doing well um and playing a lot so I guess with Leicester they, they trust them a lot with you know maybe a central midfielder of a similar caliber or just you know any sort of young player and like Bashir Humphreys at Swansea I guess the positive sort of times they have on loan, it will um, only increase their relationship with Chelsea. And I, I, I think that's a lot to do with it. Cool. And I guess for now, we'll end things there. Um, you might not believe me, but there's a chance we'll be back again next week and maybe previewing that Newcastle game uh, in greater detail. Um, we can, of course, recap how Chelsea's internationals have done. Um, we'll see if Conor Gallagher plays tonight for England as well. So there'll be plenty to chat about next week. Uh, Bobby, thank you once again for joining me and uh, hopefully speak to you all again very soon. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's football is here to stay, and so are we.